for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think. Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm here. This is Jamel Zanishef, uh, my co-host, John Palmer. And uh, this is Brew Strong, a show where you learn uh, about uh, all of those fancy brewing uh, topics, the, the technical ones to the uh, uh, maybe not so technical, but all the things that have a great impact on, on your brewing, your beer, and answering all those questions that you might uh, come across on the Internet or the local homebrew shop, uh, you know, wondering about one thing or another. And uh, with us today in the studio, we have uh, actually one of the people that impresses me most all the time is uh, Colin Kaminsky. He's the uh, the brewmaster and uh, many other things at uh, a great place called Downtown Joe's in Napa, California, or Napa's, as uh, JP would say. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure if I can live up to that introduction. But... No, no, no. I, you know, I was thinking about this the other night. Uh, you know, when, when we uh, found out that you could be uh, uh, one of our hosts, uh, I thought to myself, you know, every time I have a conversation with Colin, it makes me think. Not it makes me think you're crazy, but it makes me, it makes me <laughs> Well, that as well, I'm sure. <laughs> it, makes, it makes me think, you know. You, you'll, we'll be talking about something that I feel I know quite a bit about some subject, and we'll talk for, for a few minutes, and you'll, you'll say a few things that will make me, you know, think think through what i know or don't know and or you know it 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 opens up uh you know my thought process to well maybe i need to you know reevaluate this in a different way or you know consider these other factors and i find that just fascinating you know so if you notice every time we have a conversation there comes a point where i stop talking my eyes glaze over and my mouth hangs open (laughs) i've reached that point where i need to stop and think and i can't but but you always get back to me and and i really appreciate that about our conversations (laughs) so uh, it's not like it's then a dead thought Right. Well, it, but what is amazing to me is you're able to converse in so many different topics and on, on such a high level of uh, knowledge, and uh, uh, it, it's, it's just amazing. So uh, it's great to have you here in the studio, and uh, you know, today we're talking about metals. So we got uh, you know Colin, who uh, has, has done a lot with metals, especially you were doing a lot of uh, uh, equipment design and, and uh, creation of, of all sorts of gadgets at, at more beer for a while. And then John Palmer, he's a metallurgist by trade, right? You're, there were, uh, That's right. Metal and engineering at 3M. So, uh, you know, if anybody knows knows the subject, it's these guys. And 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 yeah. good to have you here, least, Colin. Oh, it's, it's good to be here. Thank it's you, great John. to have uh, Tasty McDole here. Uh, and it's just because you know he brings beer, and it's always really tasty. I always bring the beers. What right. what beer did well, you? Well, frankly, bring I shot the the, the show is on metals, not metals. <laughs> so I was going to come over and, and steal all yours because I knew you'd bring them. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Ah, uh, any, any, anywho, um, you know, earlier today, I was uh, wandering around down, uh, uh, as Tasty was, we were checking out the hotel that's uh, hosting the 2009 National Homebrew Conference. Very sweet. Well, we can't tell them what it is. Uh, it's in Oakland. Okay. It's the Marriott. You heard it here first. <laughs> it's the YMCA. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. Marriott City Center. There's a guy that can keep a secret. Yeah, there's a guy who keeps a secret. Who? 
Is he here? No, no, it's, it's certainly not me. But uh, yeah, the o- Oakland Marriott City Center, and I'll tell you, that is one fine hotel for a conference. Oh yeah, it's the convention center. We're gonna have more space than we ever had before yeah. for the conference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you walk right out of the hotel door, and there's uh, nice restaurants right across the street. A BART station. I mean, a BART station. You can see from sta- <laughs> yeah. you're standing at the hotel entrance yeah. of the hotel. You can see the BART station. It's that close. Yeah. Um, you know, they were saying it's two blocks. It's, well, it's two halves of, or two quarters of a block. So it's maybe a half a block away. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, you know, the great space, and they're, they're, uh, there's a, a, a brew pub right there, right next, right next yeah. to the Pacific Coast. We went there today for lunch and had some beers. They had Pliny on. Yeah. They had, uh, had uh, an Avery, uh, Avery Brown. Yeah, they have a good uh, selection. Yeah, it's it great. And uh, very impressed with that facility. I'm really looking forward to it. That's going to be a great conference. If you've never been, I tell you, this is the uh, finest beer event you'll ever go to. I've been I've been to all sorts of different beer events and that's right. absolutely fantastic. So, come, come early too if you can. Yeah, if you're not a, an AHA member, uh, you go to the Brewing Network right. store. Uh, you can buy your membership right there. Uh, a portion of it goes to the Brewing Network, helps them out. A portion goes to AHA, helps them out, and uh, gets you all sorts of discounts, including a discount to the uh, the conference that that pays for itself. So uh, June 2009, uh, June 18th, I think it is, is when the, the conference starts. Yeah. And, uh, you'll want to be there. I think the the Brewery Network's going to hold their anniversary party, same same time. So you'll be able at to do the both convention yeah. uh, that same week. Yeah, we don't know where yet. <laughs> we just know it'll be that week because listeners have always had a tough time deciding: am I going to spend my money going to the BN anniversary, or am I going to go to NHC? And we've always said go to NHC. But now you get to do both. Well, you know, yep. June seventeenth is my birthday, so maybe we just all oh, have a big birthday party go. at Joe's and oh, it's a big have bash. it be the listener party. And... It could do all of it at once. Yeah, that would be one hell of a bash. <laughs> yeah, we had the, the last uh, anniversary party at downtown Joe's in Napa's. Uh, Colin was kind enough to have us there, and it was it was fantastic. I I had pneumonia, was kind of walking around like a, a zombie, but I still had a good time. <laughs> that's, that's how good a time it was. I do have a question. Did you get the stage fixed that we broke? Yeah, you know, I, I had to uh, weld up some new stuff. You did? We re-engineered the stage. You know, it was built out of folding beds. Okay. It wasn't really designed to have, a you know, eight fat chicks kissing on you. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt bad, but I kind of thought, you know what? That's rock and roll. <laughs> we broke Colin's stage. Uh, I'm glad you got it fixed. Yeah, 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 that's that's what happens when you invite uh, yeah. the beer people over. That you know, yeah, it tends tends to. Uh, I think the average weight tends to be a little higher than uh, you know. <laughs> when the, when they say the elevator will hold uh, like eight people, they mean like six beer dudes. <laughs> you know, not 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 quite eight. All right, so uh, we're going to be talking about uh, metals today, metals and how they affect your beer, and uh, you know. The internet type rumors that you uh, hear, and uh, all the various uh, things about you know, aluminum or lead or brass or uh, all that sort of stuff. Zinc, plutonium. Zinc, plutonium, plutonium in your beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. All right. So when we come back from break, we will get into uh, a listener email that kind of sparked this whole conversation off. Awesome. We'll be back right after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. Brew 
good for the earth, good for your body, and great for your brew? Organic Ingredients. This October, the Organic Ingredient Experts Seven Bridges Co-op in awesome Santa Cruz, California, hosts the second annual Organic Homebrew Challenge. All ingredients must be organic. Entries will be accepted September 1st through October 10th. Judging October 19th will be followed by an organic Oktoberfest for all participants, customers, and guests at Gordon Biersch Brewery and Restaurant in downtown San Jose, including a specially brewed Gordon Biersch Organic Beer. For more information, contest rules, and guidelines, visit breworganic.com slash competition. And if you're looking for organic ingredients, Seven Bridges offers a huge selection of USDA certified kits and raw ingredients. From 8 ounces to 50-pound sacks of grain, whole and pellet hops, and all the equipment you'll need, Seven Bridges, the organic homebrew experts since 1997. Visit www.breworganic.com and enter the 2008 Organic Homebrew Challenge. What have you gotten out of a vial of White Labs yeast? WLP 001, Cal Ale, baby! 23, Burton Ale. 008, East Coast Ale! Cal Common, WLP 810. It's gonna be WLP 400 with beer! I got a sweet hoodie for my vial. Huh? White Labs, your source for great brewer's yeast, would like to invite all homebrewers to join the White Labs Customer Club. Redeem your empty vials for great White Labs merchandise and products. Free yeast, glassware, t-shirts, baseball caps, sweatshirts, polo shirts, and you won't believe what you'll get for 5,000 vials. Members also receive a newsletter packed with White Labs updates and facts, interviews with professional brewers, brew-your-own-clone recipes, beercook.com recipes, and customer club stories. The White Labs Customer Club. Save your vials and get in the club. White Labs. It's all in the vial. Did you know that every day a brewcaster goes to bed hungry? Did you know that that brewcaster is silently calling for the help of people just like you? Do you know that every day the unicorn and the rainbow have to blow sailors for loose change? For less than the cost of a half-calf, quad-shot, venti, extra-hot, soy milk, triple-pump, hazel, low-fat foam, double-cupped macchiato a day, you can help starving adults in Pacheco. Your love can be felt for as little as 7 cents a day. Visit thebrewingnetwork.com slash donate to sign up today for as little as $2 a month. Private first class in the BN Army. Buy your way up the ranks as corporal, sergeant, ranger, or colonel with an easy-to-do monthly donation that keeps brewcasters alive and your favorite internet radio station broadcasting. No donation is too small to help those in need. Can't you find it in your heart to share your love with a brewcaster? In return, you will enjoy the wealth of knowledge that comes with every episode of the session. The Jamil Show and Yes even that other show. Thank you for listening, and please sign up for your donation at thebrewingnetwork.com slash donate today. This is www.thebrewingnetwork.com Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to The Brewing Network. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back, and we are talking about metals and how uh, metals will um, uh, are, are part of the brewing process. You know, you, you got your, your kettles, you got your chillers, you got uh, you know, fermenters, things like that. 
And, uh, you know, the, the question a lot of people have is, is how that affects your beer. Or you know things like uh, you know how you treat the metals like do you process you know how do you treat brass or uh, you know your stainless how do you uh, uh, you know uh, make sure your stainless is in good shape and what kicked this whole whole thing off is uh, uh, John and I got a question through the uh, Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork.com email address if you have questions for, for us at Bruce Strong uh, again it's Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork.com and uh, we'll get all those we we won't respond to them but uh, we will uh, you know take those in as show ideas and things like that and uh, well, we'll often respond to them on the air of course yeah we'll respond to them on the air <laughs> very good point <laughs> yeah we just ignore them completely John's been drinking less than I have <laughs> yeah yeah we'll we'll just ignore them I'll use it to wipe after I printed it out and uh, so Jeff had uh, had asked us, uh, Jamel and John, I'm currently using a 15-gallon Megapot bought from Northern Brewer. Great, great company, great store, northernbrewer.com. Uh, I, I bought it pre-drilled for the spigot and thermometer. I love the pot, but there is one issue I have with this, and it is with the lid. I would like the lid to sit nicely when I have my immersion chiller in it. To do this, I need to cut about a 1.5 by 3-inch long notch into the stainless steel lid. I have read so many different people's opinions on this subject, and answers just make me a bit confused. Some people tell me it needs to be plasma cut. Some people say only professionals should do it, while other people tell me I can do it with a Dremel. I've also read I should cut with a saw at slow RPM. Since John is great with metals, I hope you guys can answer this question on the show. And I think this points out uh, a, a very interesting thing, is that when it comes to equipment and brewing on the Internet and uh, amateur brewers, there's all sorts of questions, and there's all sorts of crappy answers out there. <laughs> I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, like this, you know, plasma to, to using a <laughs> slow RPM saw. And, you know, what I told them and what my solution was, so I'm like, well, you know, I'm sure John will have the correct answer. My answer was I took out my aviation snips and I just rattled off a big old hole. <laughs> Looks like hell, but it works. And, uh, you know, that's what I did. So, uh, John, you know, tell us, tell us the answer specifically to this one. And then why don't you kind of go in uh, to metals a little bit in general for us. Okay. Well, stainless is uh, tough stuff to cut. Um it's uh, it's you know aluminum is dead easy, but uh, stainless tends to dull your tools and gall a little bit. Um, lots of different ways to do it. I think plasma, you know, plasma torch or an acetylene torch or something like that, way overkill um, for just cutting a, a you know slot in the lid to accommodate the immersion chiller. I think a hacksaw is probably adequate. I mean, if you're you know. Rather than going out and buying, you know, uh, uh, a new saw or something to cut it with, I think it's just a simple hacksaw would get the job done, and then you can use a file to smooth the edges. Um, but if you do uh, like a, oh, if you use like a saber saw or a sawzall with a metal blade, and uh, and you're concerned about corrosion after cutting stainless, then you're going to want to, uh, you know, clean up the edges. Um, you can use, you know, and it's good to use a, a non-metallic, say like uh, sandpaper on the edges. Because um, anytime you cut stainless with regular steel, like uh, carbon steel or uh, even, you know, high carbide uh, drill bits and such, uh, you open up the door for uh, corrosive attack um, because you break through the passive layer. And it kind of contaminates it. Is that is that the case? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah you, get, you get you were non-stainless metal put onto the stainless. Yeah, and it's like an infection, contamination. You were you were saying that uh, previously, Colin. When I, I think when I picked up some equipment at More Beer, you would tell me, you know, if you're going to do any cutting, you know, don't don't uh, you got to make sure you know stainless on stainless or. Well, yeah, one of the things we used to run into at More Beer was uh, when people be grinding metal near something stainless. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're they're grinding plain steel, and you'd end up with all of those uh, that shower of sparks mm-hmm. going onto something that was stainless, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, uh, it, it would just cause pits everywhere. And it was really hard to passivate once once that happened. You know, we'd scrub it down really hard with a scrubby and soapy water, and then we'd run it through a passivation cycle, like a green scrubby, a three yeah. M green scrubby, or are then they have the white scrubbies? I've yeah, they're, the they're, white just, scrubbies. they're just finer, aren't they? Yeah I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's like they say made for stainless from 3M, and it's like, well, if 3M says it's made for stainless, that's good enough for me. I so. think it's just how coarse the polish <laughs> yeah, is. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't do any scratching whatsoever. Right, that's, which know. is why we like the green ones, because they roughed everything up really good. Oh, I see. Yeah, uh-huh. And you, uh-huh. could, you could match the, the brush pattern. Well, what about stainless types? You know, so that's that's one question I always have is, right, you know, there's all these, you know, 308, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. 318. What is it? Three, you know, 312 and 306. 454, no, you know, 999, uh, whatever it takes. You what know? are the food grade ones, John? The 304. Um, you'll also, uh, 304 is, is the main stainless steel. Um, and you, as far as like a beer keg, those are made out of 304L because the L means low carbon, which facilitates welding. If you try to weld um, regular 304 and you do a sloppy job, you're going to get cracking. Um, you know, if you do it really slow, um, the the lower carbon helps you, gives you more time to complete the weld before you start getting cracking. Um, and the crack, the cracking is long term. That's it. There's a phenomenon called sensitization where the heat uh, draws, allows the chromium to diffuse to the grain boundaries and form chromium carbides. That's why low carbon helps because you have less carbides to form, and the, the formation of the carbides makes the makes the surrounding steel unstainless because it ties it up. So uh, if you if you weld stainless steel like three or four, and you do it slowly with lots of heat, then it gives time for that sensitization to happen, and uh, down the road. You know, after it's been in service for you know a month, um, you'll start noticing corrosion and cracking there at the weld in the weld area. So, um, the, like I say, the main steel is three hundred four. Um, you'll also see three sixteen. That's what. That's the other one. That's the cheaper one that that we used to go to when we were trying to save money. Well, that one, that these days that one can be more expensive because it has more nickel and molybdenum in it too. It, it's uh, you'll often see three sixteen used for fittings. Um, and piping is it more machinable it, it's it's uh, more corrosion resistant oh, okay. it's more resistant to pitting than 304l and so, uh, I, I mean the way i and tell me if i'm wrong the way i look at stainless steel is it's like a dirty snowball you know there's there's uh, uh, a crystalline structure that's isolated in in a matrix i'm trying to really oversimplify this um and when we heat it up, what we do is we start making the dirt go away from the snowball, and it becomes less uh, uh, corrosion resistant. Is that a kind of a fair way to oversimplify things? 
I'm not sure. I haven't figured out what that means yet. Well, you're talking about, you know, there's a crystalline structure. To me, that's the dirt yeah. and the snowball. Um, yeah, there's, yeah, or another way, if, um, take, a, take a handful of jelly beans and press them together into a ball. Yeah, so they all stick together. Um, each jelly bean is, a, is what we call a grain. And the, that, that's, that contact between two jelly beans that are stuck together is the grain boundary. And uh, so, yeah, the, and as you say, you know, the dirt or say, um, what else could we throw in? Maybe like the candy shell. Um, if you give it some heat, that's going to coalesce and you're going to get you're going to get a concentration gradient you're going to get and what hap- what really happens is um, the chromium that's diffused out you know all throughout the grain and is uh, that's what provides the stainless capability is the chromium and it's chromium long, oxide right yeah it yeah. forms chromium oxide at the surface and uh, so you have that you have that element diffused you know homogeneously throughout the uh, throughout the grain and when you're talking and about heat, you're you're talking about like welding heat, or you know, you're not talking heat about or, uh, or a propane burner heat too. Really, anything I mean, that changes the color of it. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah. somewhere around 600 degrees is that where it starts to change? So yeah, if you were six, heating up your up to 800, and, yeah. heating up your kettle without any liquid in it, that you know, you could reach these temperatures. But if you got uh, wort in there, you'd be okay. That's right. Yeah, but if if you're turning stainless blue, you're changing the metallurgy. That's right. Yeah, and that's uh, I'll talk about heat tint in a second. But uh, so let's just go back to the jelly bean model. <laughs> um, you know, if you so you got this, you got this compacted wad of jelly beans, and the jelly each jelly bean is a particular grain, it's and the joints between jelly beans are the grain boundaries. You get diffusion to the grain boundaries of the chromium. It makes the adjacent area non-stainless, and that's how it corrodes. Or if you stick, um, say a gumdrop onto that wad of jelly beans. Um, that's, you know, that that's different. That's electrochemically different than the jelly beans, and that allows corrosion to initiate at, the, at that site. So, so like so when like, we were grinding steel next to stainless, for instance? That's right. You're yeah. putting gum on your wad, <laughs> and that's what's <laughs> that's causing right. the problem. That's right. Okay, so I, I like the jelly bean model. I think that uh, actually that's better than my snowball analogy. Um, okay. So other so, types of stainless, I guess, was the question, right? Well, yeah, but I, I, where I wanted to go with the jelly bean model, though, oh. just to get my head straight here before we start here, is that shell on that jelly bean that's got to have chromium in it because if yes. that if that shell if somehow we migrate the chromium away from from the surface, we're not stainless anymore. That's right. And also, if we don't oxidize that chromium, we're not stainless anymore. So passivation is right. really just oxidizing that, that, that chromium. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, too, on passivation. Um, it, clean stainless steel will oxidize instantaneously on exposure to air. So chemical passivation is, is not necessary to passivate, have passive stainless steel. If you clean it well with uh, a cleanser and soap and, and a scrubby, you know, you've got a clean stainless steel surface, that's passive. Now you can enhance the passivity by doing a nitric acid wash, a hot, hot nitric acid wash, 
which will preferentially dissolve uh, iron at the surface away, leaving behind a chromium-rich surface. And that make, that enhances the corrosion resistance of the stainless steel. And that's why nitric works better on welds then, because we've we've somehow migrated the surface of our jelly bean away. And when we use nitric on a weld, we're we're actually taking some of the iron away and exposing fresh chromium. Yes, to some, to a large extent. Yes, there's also, um, and it's like I say, it's not totally necessary. You can also use um, a scrubby and cleanser to clean up a weld and the heat tint I was talking about was if you do welding or if you do cutting or grinding where you know it starts to turn blue like you mentioned that heat tint is a non-passive oxide and that w- and if you submerge that in the beer or wort or water or whatever that's going to corrode that's a that's a nice initiation site because all around it you've got clean stainless steel it's nice and passive and then you've got this blue spot that's not as passive and that's where it's going to corrode so what you need to do is take uh, a scrubby and some cleanser like kitchen cleanser or um, you know something similar and scour that blue that heat tin off um, and then that will like I say once you've got that clean got that heat tin away that will repassivate in the air and you're passive again. Fascinating. I don't think I've ever heard that before. <laughs> well, you know, we used to say that a half hour of air passivated. Well, and scrubbing but, scrubbing the blue off and the need to do that. I, yeah, I think, you don't uh, want the blue. That yeah, I that's think, bad. Uh, I, I think uh, you know, most people haven't heard that. Yeah. So I used I you know, ten years ago I used to say, uh, yeah, you'd need to leave it give it some time to passivate. And then I was talking with one of my friends at NASA that uh had uh, read that I'd said that somewhere on the internet and uh called me up and corrected me and uh sure enough, I mean all the all the books these days say, Yeah, instantaneous passivation if it's clean. So you just need to clean it really well. So so if it's blue, you rub it really hard until the blue goes away. And then <laughs> And then, just like blue balls, is that? <laughs> it helps. And then, and then it's, and then uh, once it's clean, it'll it'll become passive on its own. It'll tend to uh, passive. You know, yeah, navel jelly is good for that. <laughs> navel jelly, okay. I yeah. have navel lint, but I don't have any. I generally jelly. use like KY jelly. Is that the same thing? No, that's some sort of organic. Okay. Okay. Wouldn't be the same. So, if I think you know, probably for for brewers, you know, your average uh, uh, amateur brewer, the thing we're most concerned about on stainless is all right, the kettle that I use, and maybe you know, kegs and maybe other parts like fittings. You know, what what kind of stainless am I looking for? Is that three sixteen? Is that three o four? It's it all your all of your pots are going to be three o four, or 202. Um, 202? Yeah, 202 is a low nickel version that uh, works just as well for, for food and it's just cheaper because of the lower nickel content. Okay. Yeah, and you um, know, for, for those listeners out there, metals are really expensive now. And so saving money while you're alloying things um, really saves a lot. Metal is yeah. really expensive right now. Is there any, is. any kind of you know, thing we should watch out for? The consumer going out and and you know he asks about a pot and they say well it's uh, you know three and a half. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Um, if uh, 
if you get a 301 stainless, that's not terribly stainless. Um, and uh, very often these days you can find um, uh, four, 416 stainless and four, I think it's 410, 416, 420. Uh, no, 416. What, what we call a ferritic stainless. You know the cheap stainless steel silverware that you get in the cafeteria at school? Mm-hmm. That, that a that magnet stuff. will stick to? Yeah. That, well, and, and magnets will stick to brew pots, too, so that's not a perfect uh, screener. But let me go back to the silverware, the, or the, the flatware. Stainless steel flatware is a ferritic stainless. It's not as uh, corrosion-resistant as 304. Um, and, but, and so if you're at, like, Walmart and you find a thin, you know, cheap stainless steel pot, it's probably a ferritic stainless. And you won't be able to weld on it um, and without without corrosion issues like you can with 304L and 316L. So the really cheap stainless steel pots, stay away from. Well, other than welding, is it okay? If you use a weldless yeah. fitting? Yeah, I guess it, it it should probably be okay. I mean, what I'm, what I'm just trying to draw a difference is you have, you have good stainless and you've got cheap stainless. The cheap stainless, more more can go wrong with it in terms of corrosion. Now, would, um, but cheap stainless is still better than the best aluminum, right? Well, that was my question. No, would, would you uh, go aluminum instead? Well, okay, uh, you know, it's it's a matter of your priorities when it comes to brew pots. Do you want um, do you want materials that uh, avoid hot spots and avoid scorching? Uh, then aluminum's your your best bet. Um, do you want something that you can just pour caustic on and clean up? Well, in that case, then the stainless is better because uh, caustic and aluminum don't go well together. You need you need to use more elbow grease and less chemicals when you're working with aluminum. What about uh, transferring aluminum into the wort? Does that is that an issue? No, it isn't. Um, so at at the uh, pH of uh, four ish, um, we don't pick up enough aluminum that uh, it's a problem. That's right. Now, it, um, the caveat to that is if it's a bright and shiny aluminum. So it doesn't like have you, aluminum oxide on the surface. Right. You want you want um, aluminum brew pots to season, just like in cooking. You know, you get a brand new one off the shelf at the store, bring it home, boil some water in it, fry something in it, you know, season that thing up so it turns dull. Then it's inert. Then you're not going to have any problems with any metallic flavors when you brew. Um, but if you were to use it, you know, straight off the shelf, like a brushed aluminum finish inside, put your word in it and start boiling without, you know, boiling water in it first or anything, that's when you're going to get a get a metallic off flavor. And it's it's only going to be an off flavor. You're not going to have to worry about poisoning yourself or Alzheimer's or anything like that. It's going to just be an off flavor that you pick up. But with time and with you know with proper treatment, um, that goes away completely. Well, and uh, one of the things to to worry about with uh, aluminum, like you're saying, is anything uh, highly either acidic or, or caustic is a problem with aluminum, right? It ends right, up uh, right. uh, destroying destroying your pot. If you leave, if you're if you're the lazy sort, you really don't want to do this with any equipment. But uh, you know, you, you fill it up and leave it. Yeah, if you're if you're lazy and getting getting it cleaned, you know, the aluminum pot's going to 
be destroyed really quick. The stainless It'll is going to last a little longer before that 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 uh, boundary between like the water and the air is starts to pit on the stainless. That'll happen too. But the aluminum is going to go down on you really fast. Going to go well, down on you. I, I, uh, but yeah. I didn't mean that. But, uh, <laughs> and, and on What's the aluminum, her phone number again? <laughs> <laughs> she's called aluminum. No, uh, the aluminum. Uh, you know, there's the, the Alzheimer's things. There's there's that's there's no relationship there. It's there's uh, there's a re- maybe a relationship, but it has nothing to do with ingesting something that's been cooked in aluminum. So uh, I think that's well. Certainly, I've that. I've uh, put an aluminum foil over lasagna mm-hmm. and had it uh, turn into a black corroded mess. Right, because yeah. of the acidity. Because of the, the acidity the of tomatoes. the tomatoes. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I tell my wife, I said, don't, no, don't cover the lasagna with, with aluminum foil. She's like, why? Plastic, plastic, every time. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm just as afraid of PVC anymore. It's oh, yeah, yeah, and the BPAs and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah it'll all kill you. Speaking mm. of stuff that'll kill you, what about, uh, what about lead? Well, well yeah, lead. what about brass. brass? Let's talk about brass and, I, I, and machinability yeah. and all of that. Yeah, um, brass is a very useful uh, brewing metal because um, you can get you know good long-lasting fittings uh, to use in your in your setup for cheap. Um, they're cheap and or you know cheaper and uh, like copper. You know if you treat it right, um, it becomes inert to the wort and uh, you won't have any corrosion issues. Now. Uh, there's there's two kinds of brass that you'll see in the here in the United States at Home Depot or the hardware stores. There's a yellow brass which contains about three percent lead for machinability, and there's a red brass which contains zero lead. The lead brass, uh, the, sorry, the red brass is uh, dark. It's uh, very it's very coppery colored and it's cast, and often, right? It's cast, yeah. yeah. It's, so you can uh, see the casting sand marks in it. Yeah, it's rougher. Yeah, that, that contains zero lead, and um, the, um, the but the yellow brass contains three percent, and that you can remove that surface lead. But uh, you know, three percent uh, by weight is a very small amount, and especially when you start considering that you're only uh, you know that's three percent of the entire entire weight not just the surface area so you know a very small amount it it doesn't dissolve off readily um it's re- and uh a lead po- it takes a lot of lead to poison you well and then i mean it, you know it, it and in the ideal world you know we're taking this fitting we're using it like it was supposed to and we're putting it into say a tap water system and our alkalinity goes and, and coats it over anyways so, you know, in your drinking water, it's not a problem at all because it's always being recoated with alkalinity. Um, yeah, or at least it's not corroding in that environment, yes. Right. Yeah. Well, see, and, and there's one thing. I, I was concerned about that because I use brass fittings. use them for forever. And I, I prefer them over the plastic fittings, personally, just because right. the larger diameter, you know, all that stuff. And uh, the fact that the heat up doesn't bother me. I, I'm just used to them, and I and I use those. And people ask me all the time. They say, Jamil, I see on your on the pictures of your system, you use some brass fittings. You know, aren't you concerned about the lead? And so I did a little research, and I don't really, I don't know the answer to this, and don't you know be doing anything based off of my opinion because you know I'm a nut job, anyways. But you know, for me, uh, you know, 
if if you're feeding your beer to a child, then I would be concerned because <laughs> because you're feeding beer to, to a, a child. child right. <laughs> but the but the amount of lead that might be coming off in in off those fittings, uh, you know, perhaps there could be an issue because children, you know, they'll absorb it and uh, you know their, well, brain their brains develop. Right. Well. But and, for and me, my brain, my brain's not developing that, anymore. Yeah, I, no, we're, I, we're, we're shedding cells at this point and in if, our life. And if you, have a, if you have a proper diet as well, that helps your body flush the, the, the lead out as well. So right, it's milk pretty, will help, yeah. pretty hard for you to build up yeah. a, a toxic level of, of lead as an adult drinking, you know, uh, beer that's been brewed with a, a couple of brass fittings. That's my take on yeah. it. I could, you know, don't, you know, if you die of lead poison, it's your own damn fault. So, you know, I used to find actually that the lead fittings on the on the wort side of the brewery would corrode, and uh, the the brass fittings rather on the wort side um, would would corrode. And but the ones on the the hot liquor side wouldn't. So when I got to to downtown Joe's, um, I started replacing all the brass on on the acidic side, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, eventually had enough budget that I replaced them all. And I'm running all stainless now, but. You know, yeah, that, were, that was, they, were they matched up to stainless? Yeah, they were. It was uh, brass threaded into stainless. Yeah, and the reason those are corroding because it's a galvanic reaction. It's like a battery. You've got an electrolyte, the beer or the wort, and uh, you've got two dissimilar metals there. You're creating a battery, and that encourages corrosion. That makes perfect sense to me. So, but going back to lead for a second, I mean, you know, in terms of chronic toxicity, you know, toxicity that builds up from lead. Um, normal environmental intake of lead is about 0.3 milligrams a day for everybody, you know, in modern society. Um, 92% of what you in, ingest is excreted in the, in the feces. So, you know, so even don't if eat you're... Shit. <laughs> so even if you're... Even if you're drinking, you know, your entire five gallons of wort... You know, not letting the yeast take any of it out of the solution or anything, and letting the you know letting it settle down in the trub. If you're drinking just the straight wort, and uh, you know, most of that would be excreted and uh, and, and decrease over time. So it, it takes a lot of lead to poison you. Well, and, and the yeast really has an affinity towards metals as in, in any case. So that's right. It's, it's going to try to pull copper, um, iron, zinc. Uh, you know, all the metals, all the cations that are going to be in the wort are going to be absorbed to a large extent by the yeast and carried out a solution. So I think what we need to do is uh, get somebody like one of the Schumanns and do an experiment and see how much lead it really does take to kill you. <laughs> They'd be fine with that. <laughs> yeah, as long as in the no, no, what, what, I, actually, I think we need to make it more scientific than that. What we need to do is <laughs> is take one of them, get a normal and, human, and, and and give them IQ tests on a weekly basis, right? And <laughs> and, and, then, and, right then, and then and then keep feeding them more and more lead. <laughs> they'll, they'll probably get smarter. It'll test higher as you give them more lead. Yeah, they go from I don't know window lickers to dead. I really I'm not sure what happens there. <laughs> Let's see what kind of result you're going to get from that. I mean, yeah. anybody you're willing to test less lead toxicity on, <laughs> not somebody very bright in the first place. <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to take a short break, and uh, when we come back, we've got you know just a, th- this topic is just full of great uh, questions. So when we come back, we'll, we'll dive into more of these questions and uh, get them answered. Back right after this. Your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back. 
Hi, I'm Sean O'Sullivan, the brewmaster and co-founder of the 21st Amendment Brewery and Restaurant in San Francisco. Six years ago, Nico Freccia and I opened the 21st Amendment on 2nd Street with the intent of bringing back the local neighborhood brew pub. Well, the neighborhood has really changed over the years, but the 21st Amendment still remains a great place for people to meet over a terrific meal and a tasty pint of beer. In the past, the only way you could enjoy the 21st Amendment's handcrafted beers was at the brew pub. Well, all that has changed. Now, the 21st Amendment beers are available in cans. That's right, cans. When was the last time you had a great beer in a can? Well, that day has come. We're offering our world-famous watermelon wheat and 21A IPA in cans. Cans are a better package than glass because cans keep the beer fresher longer, but you can also take cans to places where bottles can't go, like the beach, lake, golf courses, and sporting events. So join us in the revolution to take back the can from the big breweries and crack open a cold 21A craft beer in a can. The 21st Amendment, 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giant. Park. <laughs> oh, crap! It's the hop shortage! He's in the basement! Oh, please! My triple decocted Imperial Pilsner! It's all gone. We'll never brew again. Damn this hop shortage! Damn it to hell! Was is los? Hop shortage? Who are you guys? Ich bin Doppelbach! Ich bin Kölsch. Und ich bin Münchener Helles. We don't need a lot of hops to be delectable. Now brew something! Malzi! Use less hops, brew more beer. Northern Brewer has kits and ingredients for dozens of worldwide beer styles that don't require a lot of hops to make a great pint, like the Cool Blonde Kolsch or the ponderously bottom-heavy Doppelbach. Keep drinking great beer. Order at northernbrewer.com and get flat rate $7.99 shipping anywhere in the contiguous U.S. One beer kit, $7.99 shipping. One million beer kits, $7.99 shipping. Together we can beat this hop shortage. Mm Mm-hmm. Now get blowing! Live! Beer Radio! The Brewing Network! The Brewcasters! If you're just starting, don't be discouraged by all this stuff. It's so easy. Just throw it together. Put some sugar and some water and some yeast in there. Yeah. Beer. The Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking metals in brewing. And, uh, I, you know, I told John, this is, he was like, oh, you know, it's not an <laughs> exciting topic for me. I'm like, yeah, because you know everything about this, but. You know, uh, people out there, they're dying for this information to, to talk to an expert and be able to get exactly the right answer instead of, you know, uh, nonsense that they might pick up elsewhere. And so, I thought uh, everybody knew this stuff. No, you do. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you yeah, know, John, like, you're yeah. actually uh, changing some of my views on some of this, so... So this is good for me, and I've been dealing with metals and brewing for 10 years. And again, one of the things I love about Colin is, like, I can say something, and, you know, even something stupid, and he'll go, well, all right, you know, I'll consider it, and, you know, and see if it's see if it's worthwhile. The answer is usually no. But he's very open <laughs> to, to, to learning, uh, you know, things from other people, and, and no matter, and, and again... I tell you, if you ever get a chance to talk to Colin, you know, go down to downtown Joe's in, in Napa's and, 
uh, you know, if he's there and he's not too busy, you know, talk to him about whatever subject, you know, from, uh, you know, making your own guitars to, uh, you know, pimping out your ride to <laughs> who knows what, you know, uh, gliders, uh, holography, all sorts of stuff. Just fascinating individual. And he'll just blow your mind just in a conversation where he's not trying to impress you. He's just, he'll, he may ask you a question. And that question will just, like, all of a sudden screw up your world, and you'll have to really think. <laughs> you know, if you, if you haven't been thinking before, after talking to Colin, you'll really be thinking, which is, again, one of the reasons I really love talking to this guy and, and having him here in the studio is great. All right, so we're talking metals, and there's a lot of questions on, uh, you know, stainless. Anyway, the live chat, I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's very active. A lot of good questions coming in in the live chat. If you're, if you're listening live... You go to the uh, main website, hit the Chat Now button, and they'll take you in there. You don't need to enter in a password or anything. Just enter in your name, and you can join in with like-minded individuals and talk about uh, the, the subjects we're talking about and uh, ask questions that we'll answer at the end of the show in our uh, in our final running segment. And uh, uh, you'll, you'll find out uh, uh, some very interesting stuff in there. All right, so... Here's a, a a couple of things that uh, came up uh, in various emails and and chats with other people at conferences. Uh, for example, a friend of mine, he came over with his wife, and and we were all brewing together, and and uh, they had some sort of a disagreement about uh, the copper immersion chiller, and his was getting kind of a black coating on it, and she copper was uh, and it was and it was falling off into the beer when he brewed, and she was worried about it. And, uh, you know, like he'd, he'd leave it out for a while, and then next time he brewed, he put it in and come out shiny. And she's like, well, where did all that black stuff go? It's in the beer. <laughs> or sometimes, you know, uh, uh, it'll start to turn green, the copper will. And, you know, do you want to put that in your, in your word? I mean, what's, what's up with that? What's, you know, no, what you is don't. it, and, and what's the danger there? Um, well, the, you, you get a couple of oxides with copper. You get a black oxide. And you get a green oxide. And the green oxide is uh, known as verdigris, um, which apparently means green in Italian. Um, the those oxides are more soluble in acids, uh, in wort, in other in other words, than um, copper itself. That's why it comes out shiny. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what you want to do is if if you're if you're a, if your immersion chiller is all black or starting to turn green, you want to clean that first. Clean it with a kitchen cleanser or clean it with vinegar. Um, but, you know, get that looking um, reasonably clean. I mean, more copper colored than black, if you know what I mean. So so um, what, what happens? What is the path of that copper oxide as it goes through our beer? Well, it just it dissolves into the wort. And then um, it's it is a yeast nutrient, and so some of it uh, will actually be metabolized by the yeast. Um, a lot of it will just be absorbed um, by the yeast and and bound up with the tannins and the and the other you know the other trub in the in the wort and carried out a solution. So um, even if you do put a dirty wort chiller in your wort, you're not going to get a lot of copper in your beer. I mean, it, here's what happened to us in California. Um, I have a copper brew kettle, 
And so I was part of this study. Um, the state of California decided that uh, they were going to go through all brew houses that had copper brew kettles. And what they were going to do was measure the residual copper in the finished product. So they they took pictures of our setups, and, and it was like 20 or 30 breweries. And they took pictures of our setups, and then they took samples out of our faucets, and they brought them all back to the lab, and they measured them for residual copper, and they found none. Now, my, my kettle doesn't ever turn black, you know, so I, I, I can't say that, you know, having a black kettle isn't a danger. Um, but what they did do is they, they were trying to actually force us all to go to stainless kettles. And uh, they could find no evidence uh, to move us to stainless. And, and copper has such a big benefit during the boil, chemistry-wise, um, that right. I'm, I'm really happy that we were able to do that. So Yeah, that's the magic of copper in brewing, is that uh, it, is, it is very beneficial in the boil. It uh, helps take, uh, take a lot of sulfur out of the beer. And uh, that was one thing that the Germans noticed, um, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, is when they all, everybody started switching to stainless steel systems, is that they noticed a lot more sulfur in the beer, a lot, you know, a lot more sulfur, sulfur character. And the beer's got and, lighter in color as well. Yeah. Well, and the, it, it, the, it made a big taste difference. In the, in the wine industry, I know they, they use copper to reduce sulfur as well, right? And then, so so copper is uh, one question, Colin, on on your on the experiment done by the state of California. Are you saying that there was no copper detected in the wort after the boil? No, or in after, the finished beer. In the finished beer, that's all right. they cared about. So okay, all they right. did was take a picture of the system, take samples of the finished beer, and then we didn't hear from them for a year. And suddenly we read in the newspaper, copper's okay for brewing. <laughs> <You Right. know? laughs> so so copper can can uh, assist yeast, assist in yeast health like zinc can. Uh, it, it, right. it can, but there's lots of copper in barley. Mm-hmm. So zinc is the only metal that's a little deficient in barley um, that you might want to supplement if you're reusing your yeast a lot like we do in breweries. You know, if you're only using your yeast once, then you don't need dad zinc. Depends where it's grown, too, the barley. There might be more copper or I would areas. assume, but I don't know. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but uh, copper does some other things. You know, it, it also uh, uh, goes through the sulfur reaction um, that you guys are talking about. But it also, uh, when you make caramel in a, uh, as a candy maker, you make it in a copper bowl. And the reason why you use a copper bowl is because it helps the the reaction that turns sugar to caramel f- colors and flavors. And uh, uh, if I remember right, that's either the Browning reaction or the Maillard reaction. Neither of you know for sure. Uh, it's one of those two thing. reactions. It's a Maillard it's, reaction. Maillard, is that how it's pronounced? Yeah. That's I've a problem with only reading books. So, so, yeah. but uh, copper, I know, like copper sulfate, yeah, you use that. I used to lifeguard at a, at a private lake up in the yeah, up in the hills somewhere, and, close and they used to, used to throw in, yeah, clothes optional, uh, run around there naked. Uh, and That's I'd an image to, I didn't need to, right have now. have to throw in copper sulfate to, to, to beat down the, uh, the algae in the lake. And, yeah. uh, well, it is so a poison, and, a and that's one of the things, and it's level, blue, right? too. So that, that's one of the things, you know, when like I saw, Viagra. So, well, when I'm looking at the edge of my hot liquor tank, which is also copper, you know, there's a blue ring around the outside edge where it overflows. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a little spill lip. And one of the things that's always concerned me, and maybe, John, you can help us, uh, help me answer a question I've had for years, is, is that blue ring then the blue version of copper oxide? Or because I'm adding gypsum to that, is that copper uh, sulfate? It's, it's copper sulfate, oh, yeah. Sulfate is so, well, that's a poison, right? 
So yeah. I, I should scrub that blue ring off, right? You should. You should. You should <laughs> clean that off. Yeah. I mean, don't lick it it's, off. <laughs> it's outside. You know, it's outside. It's of the outside normal. of the brew process. I mean, right. you know, because it's on the spill lip. But I don't want a poison hanging around the brewery. That's right. Yeah, copper sulfate is is toxic on a couple levels. One because it is uh, a sulfate, but uh, just because partly because the sulfate is easily metabolizable in the body, and so you're you're able to get a lot of a lot of copper into your body by eating copper sulfate. So so um, calcium sulfate's not a problem because I want the calcium in my body. Right. But right. copper sulfate because I don't want the copper in my body is a problem. Right. And but you know as as the, your test showed, you know you have zero copper in your in your finished beer. But that's probably because the yeast pulls it out. That's right. Yeah, I, you know, and certainly if we measured the wort before fermentation, um, I'm going to measure some some part per million copper. Well, and sure. here's 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 a question from Jim. He emailed uh, us and he said. Uh, uh, the configuration of my boil kettle does not... He, he was switching to one of the Whirlpool chillers, and he wanted to, to, to put that in. The problem is, he says, uh, the configuration of my boil kettle does not allow me to sit the immersion chiller into the boil kettle without hooking up the drain tube first. Will it hurt anything to have my chiller in the pot even before the sparge starts and leave it in the entire 90-minute boil? I just need your opinion on any problems relating to leaving the the chiller in for the entire length of the boil. Now, this is copper, and he's leaving it in from the very start of when he sparge into, you know, when in, at knockout. I personally think it'll help. I think you want copper. I, I recommend people take a foot-long piece of half-inch copper pipe, throw it in the boil, and leave it there. Put your foot-long half-inch pipe into the boil. That's right. Leave it there. I, I, think, any, I, I think it makes you have a two-inch pipe? <laughs> no, it question. has to be the half inch. <laughs> oh, <damn it. laughs> no, I, I, you know, I, I boil in copper all the time. So for me, if there's not copper in the boil, it's not beer. It's just that's right. As you, as that. You've got a, a considerable amount of copper. Of course, you got a bigger uh, volume of you know the the ratio of one to the other. But uh, even even a, a chiller coil, there's a lot of lot of copper there. You know, there's yeah. a 25 foot a half inch uh, copper there. That's a lot yeah, of I, I, if still, you know, still probably okay. Huh? I think it's fine. Yeah, if, I, that's what I, I think so I too. If, if providing it's clean, et cetera, et cetera, you know. Um, you know, the, the biggest it, problem for me with the copper kettles, you know, you can't use chlorinated caustic to clean copper. Mm-hmm. And chlorinated caustic is the cleaner in a brewery. That's what you use to clean everything that's stainless. I mean, it's just the, it's what everyone uses, and we use lots of it, and, and it works great, and, and it doesn't take a lot of labor. You can clean in place, you know, just, just pump it with spray balls. But you can't do that in copper. Um, you have to, you can use caustic, but you can't have any chlorine in it. Because the chlorine and the copper go through a reaction. So it's a lot harder to clean the copper boil kettle. It's a huge amount of labor. And we go in with a green scrubby every day, climb into the copper ke- the copper vessel, and scrub it off. And when we don't do that, let's say, you know, we're, we're too drunk to clean the kettle or whatever it is, um, what happens is, is we taste oxidized hops um, in the next batch because the hop oils coat uh-huh. the wall. And and the main reason I can think of to clean a immersion chiller is to get that hop oil off there, um, so that 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 oxidized hop flavor doesn't come through your next batch. So you should scrub down your your immersion chiller after after each batch or before at least or get, before that. You know, I, I I love the idea of a vinegar rinse and then a water rinse. Yeah. That sounds great to me. I mean, that, yeah, that, that I always just do a, a water rinse. I take a green scrubby and the hose and just hose it down. You know, scrubbing it, you know, with the scrubby, just getting all the all the gunk off, 
Um, that's essentially what I that, do. That, that's Same what thing. we do. We, you know, we climb yeah. in with a green scrubby and a hose. And, I don't yeah, climb okay. in. I, I stand next to it. It's yeah, yeah. just a little, little small for me to climb in. Our, ours is 300 gallons, so you know it's easier to work from the inside. I'm working five. <laughs> five big gallons. Count them. Five. Yeah. All right. you, want, you want that copper to turn a dull copper color. That's the most passive uh, form. Uh-huh. Well, you know, actually, when, when, we, when we go to brew our next batch, it's shiny like a new penny. Um, oh, well, you know, because that's the only option we've got. We, you know, yeah. I can't wait for it to oxidize over the course of a week. Well, and the funny thing is, mine's kind of the dull copper all the time, and and uh, after I brew and all that. And if I over adjust my 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 mash water or sparge water, it comes <laughs> out nice real shiny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I go, "Oops, I think I, I screwed up on that one." Yeah, that that's There's pretty low pH. Actually. More beer for Justin. That's like three point five or something, isn't it? Yeah. Have you, do you measure? Uh, I, I have, but uh, you don't yeah, know offhand. No. Uh, all right. So uh, Jerry wrote in, and, and along similar lines, he says, "I'm building a custom fermenter. And I'm thinking of using a copper pickup tube. What effect does copper have on fermenting wort or brass, for that matter?" Uh, then you can get in when you put copper in the fermenter or in the serving side. Um, it's a it's a known fact that copper uh, catalyzes staling reactions. So um, I don't recommend having a copper pickup tube in the fermenter. In um, other words, it can make your beer stale. Right. Do you do you know what it, staling let me trans- reaction? Let me trans- translate for John here. Make your beer stale. It, beer it, no it, taste it good. It also it participates in the uh, the trans two non all You know the uh, the ooh that's br- a yucky uh, one. Yeah. The cardboard, the linoleic acid oxidation, um, yeah, it catalyzes that. You know, a, a few years back, about maybe three and a half years ago now, uh, Anheuser-Busch mandated that all um, uh, pubs that were serving uh, Budweiser replace all of their shanks and faucets with stainless. It was probably going after that flavor. Yeah, uh, that probably that adding is, flavor to the beer. Is that what they were worried about? <laughs> yeah. That that is well, you know, it's a Belgian beer now, so it has flavor. <laughs> um, they uh, that's probably what they were going after, and it's what made stainless faucets cheap enough for me to buy. You know, but, oh yeah, yeah, you know, it, because they there were so many Budweiser faucets out there uh, that nobody would produce them uh, until Budweiser decided to make them. You know, decided to require everyone to do it. And my Budweiser distributor is a friend of mine, the the, the local Bud rep. So he'd like s- slip me shanks and faucets on the side. Oh, you don't, you need one of these. He was slipping you the shank. <laughs> Just knew I was going to say something. You know, I'll do anything for good beer. It's like cue up Jamil and his stupid comments. Uh, all right, so in uh, one of the things about fermenting wort or fermenting beer, once you add yeast, it's called beer, not wort anymore. Um, is that it, it becomes more acidic. So it's far more acidic than what you were boiling, right? Yeah, and like one right. pH point, right? Right, which is considerably, it's like a magnitude 10 yeah. uh, more acidic. More hydrogen, yeah. And uh, that is going to have some effect on that. Like, you know, the uh, the coil I put in, in the, the if I over-adjust my sparge water and it comes out real shiny, I, I imagine it's even worse in the fermenter. And so uh, uh got to be a problem. Yeah, and, and you know you, you've got these breweries now that are trying to make these sour beers, and I've, I see these pH is awfully low, three two. Oh yeah, if you you're know, doing sour beers, it's three even five worse. to three two. Yeah. yeah. 
So my recommendation yeah, once, was... Once, once you get a lot of carbon dioxide in the beer, it's it's more aggressive chemically to the copper also. Yeah. Well, so it, I, I guess where we're headed towards all this uh, uh, is no copper, no brass uh, after the wort's cold. Right. My, well, my recommendation to Jerry was try and go out and pick up a scrap piece of copper at some, uh, you know, metal place. And I, uh, he needs like a couple inches of, uh, of uh, tubing. You know, I, I'm sure you can pick that up uh, probably for free most places. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Certainly from my plumber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to say, okay, so Colin's plumber will slip him uh, a couple inches of tubing anytime he, he wants it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> Tasty's here, he gives me beer, and then I get out of control. Whole thing goes down the tubes. Clint writes in, he says, uh, Jamal, your quick connects look like brass is correct. Oh, let's see, brass harmful in brewing. I think we covered that, right? So there could yeah. be some lead. And, you know, John, one of the things, when I uh, started out uh, brewing and uh, using uh, the brass quick disconnects, I worried about lead, too. But uh, I saw you had a, a, a recommendation on, on a way to kind of remove some of the surface lead with... Uh, uh, a, a combination solution. of uh, vinegar and hydrogen peroxide. Can you briefly go over that for us? Sure. Yeah, uh, you make a pickling solution out of uh, out of uh, two parts vinegar to one part hydrogen peroxide, and this is you know normal you know grocery store vinegar, five percent acid, and uh, normal three percent hydrogen peroxide that you get from the uh, you know from the drugstore. Um, you mix those in a two-to-one ratio of vinegar to peroxide, and then put your brass parts in that for, oh, a minute, two minutes. Um, you'll see the brass turn from, say, kind of dull to a kind of a buttery yellow uh, color. You'll see it brighten up. And uh, the, the solution should still be clear when you're done, or fairly clear. Um, if you leave it in there too long, like five minutes, or ten minutes or more, it'll, the, the solution will start turning green, and the the copper will turn dark, and that mean that means that you're starting to dissolve copper from the brass into the into the liquid liquid. So at that point, you got to kind of take it out, um, scrub it up, put it back in with a fresh solution, do it again. So why but, is uh, that a problem if you start to dissolve the copper? Hasn't the the lead well, already been removed? You, or you're exposing yeah. fresh lead. You're exposing fresh lead if you let it go too long, because you'll be dissolving the copper away from around it and exposing more. But if you put it in there for just a short period of time, let that you know let that copper or the brass part brighten up, um, you know about a minute, and take it out and rinse it off. You've removed all the surface lead from that piece of brass. Well, and I also read on the internet a lot of times people say, well, you know, oh, modern brass parts don't have any lead. There's zero lead in these, these That's parts. That's not true. And it's, it's not true. I got out a lead test kit, checked a couple of parts. Sure enough, plenty of lead in them. Yeah, it has to be below 7% in the state of California now. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But, you know, I think they're lower than that. You're saying 3%. 3% for for the yellow brass. Yeah. I mean, in California, it has to be below seven percent, or it can't be marked drinking water safe. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a some some stupid law. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want lead anywhere near anything. So right. I, I'm paranoid. It, as it crap really about it. it really is not as toxic as you're led to believe by the media and by the state of California. Well, it just doesn't go away. 
It does actually. Oh, really? You can your well, body your body processes it. Yeah, it'll. Yeah, it'll, your your body it excretes right out, it, it out. and uh, I mean, if you're ingesting enough, so it you know it will. It, you're only you know, you're excreting ninety two percent, so you're retaining eight percent, and if you keep taking in enough that that eight percent is able to build up, then yeah, you'll suffer lead well, you know, and, chronic and lead poisoning. But if if you eat uh, normally, if you're not starving. Uh, the, the if you eat, every time you eat, you excrete more lead. It, it you know clears clears. So it's not something that gets into you, say my brain cells and then stays forever. No, not that you no. can remember now. That, that what were we talking about yeah. again? <laughs> but again, in children, people with developing brains, not people with you know yeah. brains that are on the downside slope. Uh, you know, probably. <laughs> Pretty, let me let me offer this too when it comes to metals poisoning uh the symptoms are all pretty uh, very similar um if you've if you've e- ingested a large amount you're going to feel nauseous you're going to get a headache you're going to get a stomach ache um you may vomit i mean those those are your first symptoms of metal poisoning it doesn't matter what metal it is aluminum copper bronze cadmium you know zinc iron zinc lead yeah i'm all of them um you know those are your your signs that that you've ingested you know heavy metals um i remember in college we i went to a frat party where they had um you know spiked fruit punch wine punch in garbage cans and i had the nastiest hangover that night and the next day and Zinc you know. poisoning. Yeah, it was zinc, and I, I thought, wow, it was just bad, bad wine. But well, no, a lot of a lot of plastics have lead in them to make them more uh, pliable and durable, right? Uh, as a colorant, um, pigments oh, will wow. have uh, they'll have lead or cadmium. Even cadmium is, I mean, where lead is, you know, known toxic, um, but uh, cadmium is very toxic. Um, but again, you have to eat quite a bit of it to, to really poison yourself. Okay, we'll try, but I'm not sure I can eat that much. Yeah, I, but I, I had a friend welding uh, on some galvanized metal one time uh, mm. who got zinc poisoning. Yeah, and, metal uh, fever. Yeah, and, and so he goes to the doctor and he says, "Yeah, I was welding on some some zinc, and and I think I got sick." The doctor said, "Go home and drink a lot of milk." Yeah, that was that was. All the, all the medical attention he got, and then he died. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you know, he's just as abnormal as the rest of us now. Yeah, but it, it's yeah, zinc. That's that's a very common problem. Metal fume fever. Um, it's also called welder's flu because it feels like you're starting to come down with the flu. All right. So, uh, one last question before we take another break and uh, and get to our our live chat questions. Uh, Miguel had written in. He he had a, a trouble. He was trying to uh, track down a metallic flavor source in his beer. There's a lot of things that can produce a metallic flavor in beer. It isn't necessarily related to metal contact with the beer, but uh, he did work out. He was using a stainless steel scrubby pad to in in his kegs to uh, kind of filter out the uh, the hot material in in uh, you know in a dry hot beer. And what he discovered was these uh, stainless steel scours were made from some sort of low-grade 
stainless, stainless. Yeah. and uh, they were kind of rusting in his beer, and they would make the beer more more metallic and uh, tasting. And uh, finally, he discovered that 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 was the cause. Uh, again, well, fortunately, that makes a haze as well. So if you're always looking for clear beers, that you would have detected that just by looking for clarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, iron causes a haze. Something dry hopped. Yeah. A lot of times, that tends to be hazy from the dry hopping. So not if you find it with like lucilite or something. You know? <laughs> I find dry, I find hazes out. I hate hazes. So oh, now see when you, when you get into something like the Pliny. And you're and you're putting in a pound of dry hops. The Pliny I buy, and, and I buy Pliny. A gallon. Pliny is my second favorite beer in the whole world. Uh-huh. And I buy probably two or three pints a week, and it is always crystal clear. So if you're following one of those recipes and it's not clear, then you're not doing it the way Vinny does. Yeah, hurrah. Well, if you're not finding, finding it and filtering it then. Uh, you know, I don't know what he does. Cause I, 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 I don't you, ask him. No, I, I tell you if, you, if you if you put in a pound of hops into five gallons of, of beer... You will see a haze. There's just no way around it. But it's not a haze I can't you... find out. Right. Right. Yeah. And what's now, your calcium now for level me, like, Jamil? For me, I I like I I'm fine with the haze. I I believe there's no there's no need for clear beer. <sighs> <laughs> I find everything. <laughs> I, again, because I think you're removing some of that flavor oh, and aroma that uh, you're trying to add to the beer. I think, I'm, I'm, think I'm removing the wrong aromas, and I'm, I'm keeping the right ones. Uh, <laughs> I, and, I, and I'm only saying this after doing it this hundreds of times. Uh, Jamil, when, when, I, have a, when I make yeah, a beer yeah. that's lacking in flavor or, or aroma, you know what I do? <laughs> you I give it more, to Justin. I put Justin. more hops or malt to, to correct that. Right. So if, if you're finding and you're not getting the beer you want, okay. change the recipe. But, but hold on. Now, now, you taste the beer before you filter it, and you taste the beer after I, you filter I would it. never use a filter. I would never use a filter. Fining is much more selective than filtration, uh-huh. and I really believe in fining. I, I would not ever use a filter. And see, Tasty used a filter. I may. He's, he's I making, may. He's making we'll hand gestures. Sure. Show. We'll have to bring you back for the finding show. Hey. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd love to talk about finding. It's, it's, I've done it's, so much of it. <laughs> I do it every day. I did cuffs here in the studio. I folks. did. I did five tanks today, actually. So excellent. And yeah. one of which is on tap. So I, I'm finding it while it's on tap. So think, every pint's getting clearer as we talk. I think we better go to break. I think. I think. It's, you know, one of the things, pandemonium here in the studio. One of the things we should talk about but, uh, at beer. some point is uh, uh, passivation uh, uh, internally of stainless. Internally, like you put, swallow it. Well, in brewing, in, in, in breweries, we have to passivate, say, inside a heat exchanger. Uh-huh. All that you uh, can't get air in there. So, how uh, do you do that? Well, go ahead, and tell us how do you do that. I thought we were taking okay. a break. No, 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 no. I was just, I was, it was just uh, <laughs> a, uh, a weak threat. <laughs> so, <laughs> Justin it, didn't it, have his finger on the button, so I couldn't go to break. It's, it's the, his fault. The the standard in in brewing in breweries to to clean anything is you give it a water rinse, you give it a 140 degree chlorinated caustic cycle. Um, this is any anything that's stainless. Um, then you give it another water rinse. And then you give it a pa- what we call a passivation rinse, and we're using an acid. And normally, Which acid? well, that, LSD. That, it, it it usually comes you know in some big bucket marked you know something bright, and you don't know what it's in it. But usually, it's a lot of phosphoric and a touch of nitric. Okay. 
and um, and and it's just standard that's what you do and then you do a water rinse and then and then you use uh uh whatever sanitizer is your favorite um i use 200 degree water as a sanitizer um but most people are using uh oh what's the acid uh star sand no uh there's oh, uh, uh parasitic parasitic yeah most people are using parasitic now, all right, so this brings up an interesting question. You got uh, the people with uh, 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 counterflow chillers, people with these plate chillers, uh, you know, made of copper, or maybe some people have it made of stainless. And, you know, what's the cleaning regimen for that? How, 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 do you, how should you treat that, and, and what do you worry about? I mean, should you be pumping all these different chemicals through a copper plate chiller? Well, you certainly don't want chlorine. Right, you know, chlorine, no chlorine, and, yeah, chlorine and copper is bad. So, you know, when I say caustic, I normally mean chlorinated caustic, but I do keep a separate bucket of caustic around that's non-chlorinated just for my copper vessel, um, uh, which I never use because I go in with a scrubby. But I've got it around in case I want to use it one day. Um, so people so, could use something like PBW, PBW is a good brewery one. wash. Yeah, sure. In their copper yeah. counterflow chiller, no so, problem. So they you don't want to leave it soak in it. You don't want to let right. it soak in PBW or star sand um, because it will eat it in the long term. But in the short term, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what do you do? You rinse it? Hot water rinse? Hot water rinse uh, for a long time. Um, the If it doesn't feel slippery, mm-hmm. um, you're probably almost done rinsing. <laughs> hmm. So keep going if it feels yeah. slippery. If it feels slippery, that's a bad feel thing. Feel it. And if it's yeah. slippery... If if, if, if if the water or the part feels slippery, then you haven't rinsed enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so sli- touch, slippery touch. means means caustic. Uh-huh. It means it means right. it's it, the pH so is wrong. Touch your part, and if it feels slippery, if it feels slippery, keep rubbing on it. Or yeah. if the fluid coming out feels slippery, <laughs> then it's uh, it needs. Uh, I, it, me is a, is, is his finger here. on that break button yet? <laughs> <laughs> he, th- he thinks I've completely lost it. So uh, after after you've rinsed the daylights out of this thing and gotten rid of all the the caustic that's in there, then what's your treatment? Do you need to sanitize that? You know, you're Absolutely. talking uh, hot water or or uh, or what? maybe uh, what what about star sand or iodophore or any of that stuff? I I like hot water because I trust it. So uh, a minute at 200 degrees, I'm I'm just fine with. Mm-hmm. If yeah, I've got that's extra- good. If I've got That's extra hot water, then I'll use another one. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll use another minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, hot water is really dangerous. So you don't see Anheuser Busch using hot water to sanitize because brewers go to the hospital from getting burned by hot water. Mm-hmm. So you don't see it used in a lot of breweries. And that's a good thing because it's really dangerous. Mm-hmm. But if you mitigate the dangers of the hot water itself, then it's it's a very effective sanitizer. Mm-hmm. It, it penetrates better than chemicals do, you know. So if if you've got a plate heat exchanger and you happen to leave a little, um, I'm going to use pocket the, of crud in there. Yeah, uh, a trub, uh, which um, I always say true, but that's because I'm from California. Um, if you leave some trub in there, uh, then uh, uh, you will uh, end up uh, 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 being able to at least try to penetrate it. You know, you you. I certainly, any time I've had a bacterial contamination come out of my heat exchanger and I've disassembled the heat exchanger, it's because there's been trub in there and it's gone through my my sanitation of 200 degrees. Mm-hmm. So you can't guarantee that you're going to sanitize with heat. Um, sanitizing with heat doesn't uh, replace cleaning. Mm-hmm. 
But if you've got it clean, you hit it, get it hot. It's it's sanitized. Mm-hmm. At least right. pasteurized to to a good extent, which uh, is all the sanitization you need. Right. We're not talking sterilized. We're talking right. sanitized. Right. Okay. Right. Well, let's let's go to break. For God's sakes, let's go to break. Drink some beer, and uh, we'll come back. We'll get into all the listener questions. There's a big load of them, and uh, and we'll also have our final runnings. Back after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Finn. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. And the new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew stand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kettles, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal, and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess. The, the more beer, beer deal, deal of the day. day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the more beer deal of the day at morebeer.com. Celebrity voices impersonated. Attention homebrew shop owners. At Fermentap, they know you're tired of buying the same old gear that everyone else has. That's why Fermentap offers the newest and most cutting-edge brewing equipment known to man. Since 1998, Fermentap has been leading the fight against the boring and mundane by offering strange, unique, and just plain smart equipment. Like their stainless stone false bottoms. Never deal with the floating plastic castle of other false bottoms again. And since they're made from stainless steel, they'll last a lifetime. Fermentap's line of copper wort chillers are the best on the market. Designed to cool your wort faster and more efficiently than other immersion tailors. They actually invented the equipment to make these tailors not only work great, but look great too. How about a fantastic line of ingredients including vanilla beans, sorghum extract, blue agave extract, hot bitterness extract, unique wine yeast, green coffee beans, sake kits, all stuff you can't find anywhere else. Fermentap carries all the standard products and equipment you need as well, such as all grain systems, stainless hardware, kettles, carbonation stones, you name it, they've got it. Fermentap's entire line of products has been helping retail shops meet the demands of their customers for nearly 10 years, and they want to help you too. For more information, see them on the web at Fermentap.com or call Jason at 1-800-942-2750. Fermentap, better beer through innovation. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. Hey, we're back, and as you can tell, we're running long on this show. That's that's the problem. You get it. You get your experts in the into the studio. 
And I, you know, I just can't, uh, you know, cut these guys off when they're when they're uh, dripping gems here. You know, when the the pearls are forming necklaces out of their mouths, you can't. Uh, <laughs> keep working. Keep right, working. Yeah, that's a stretch, Jamil. Come on. <laughs> can't, can't cut that off. Oh, tasty! It's all your fault. It's all, all your fault. fault. Yeah, it is. Is there a fluff girl around here somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm, I apologize to all our faithful listeners. I apologize. It's all my fault. I'm a terrible person. I shouldn't be. Have another uh, beer. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, who cares? All right. Uh, if if you're uh, if you're listening live, okay. So you go to you, you go to the uh, thebrewingnetwork.com. And what, first off, what you're going to notice is a completely redone website. I love it. It is absolutely beautiful. It's easier to navigate. It's it it just uh, it's a gorgeous site with a lot of a lot of great things happening to it. I don't know if everybody here in the studio has seen it, but absolutely fantastic. It's worth taking a look at. If I thought the the previous site was actually quite good, uh, I think this one is as as good a site as you're going to see on any uh, any uh, website. There, it's fantastic. Lots of great stuff there. I'm running like Netscape 1.2. Does it load up for me? <laughs> yes. it, it probably, no, you're not. Come on. It probably will. Because uh, like, the guy who did it knows what he's doing. I think he can make it work on a lot of different browsers. It's not, you're not going to run into troubles there. And uh, if you go there, you click on the uh, Chat Now button, and uh, that's going to take you into the chat and people listening live. We do these shows live. There's no editing. There's no... Uh, you know, uh, remastering of this thing. It's you like sure we, we can't edit it. some of those comments? <laughs> no, I say them and they they go right out. Yeah, even you know? if it's Jamil, we don't edit. <laughs> From, yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, so yeah, it's it's ab- absolutely done live. We do uh, you know two shows. We're going to do uh, this metal show, and if you're listening live, you're going to get the uh, a show on enzymes coming up next. And uh, if you're listening in uh, in uh, the archives, it takes about two weeks between each show. We, we space them out about two weeks. So uh, you want to be a live listener, and you get a chance to ask your questions. And Justin has gotten uh, you know quite a few questions here. It's quite active on this topic. I knew this would be popular. I would go so far as to say that it's uh, our most popular of all the your shows. There you go. So far in terms of questions. See, John, I told you. <laughs> Lots of questions. <laughs> Good response. So it's going to take us a few just to get through it. I want to start by, uh, Colin, correcting you just for a second. If you're going to use trub because you're Californian, <laughs> then it has to be hella trub. Well, you know, actually, I say I say wart, okay. and I say trube. Oh, you do? Okay. Because yeah. if you're going to stick with trub because you're Californian, then you have to put hella in there. Wouldn't it be trube, dude? Yeah. Or the- a trube, dude. I got a hella trube in the bottom of my kettle, dude. <laughs> okay, so I do really have a lot of questions. I'll try to get through them quickly. Uh, one of the first that came through when we were talking about copper early on is is uh, how much copper is is too much copper. And I know we went into this in depth, but maybe we could use this as you know, Colin. You said put a copper shank in your in your boil kettle. How much is too much of that? I you know I don't know if there is such a thing. I think the yeast is, has such a strong affinity for the copper. I don't think there is too much. Palmer, what do you yeah. think? Well, there's also well, the solubility of copper in in the liquid, right? It's going to reach yeah. a certain point. It's not going to you're not going to get any more. Well, I don't think you can get to saturation even yeah, with anything right. we can imagine. Okay. You know, fill the whole kettle with the copper scrubby maybe, I don't know. Palmer? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but you know, according to the Industrial Metals Handbook, where it talks about industrial safety and toxicology, what page? Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't have that. It's on the nightstand. If, nice if you look in the appendix in How to Brew, it talks about the uh, lowest lethal dose, which is 200 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. Oh shit! So, <laughs> That's a lot. Um, yeah, so yeah, you'd have to, you'd have to ingest a couple of, oh, copper pennies worth. Um, although these days are all zinc anyway, okay. but uh, you know if you're not thrown up and if you're not turning green, then you're fine. All right. Uh, clarification about the passivation cycle you guys were talking about earlier. Uh, someone had kind of interpreted it as so: is this a bath of dangerous acids that we can't get anyway? Pretty much, it is okay. Well, the nitric's hard to get. It's not impossible to get. The nitric's hard to get, but you can get phosphoric anywhere. All right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nitrix, it's a little dangerous to deal with. And, and so it's hard to get for a good reason. And again, I think uh, John's point was you know, if you clean it really well, use the scrubby, use whatever, you know, uh, cl- cleansers you need, uh, and then expose it to the air, dry it off, expose it to the air, it's going to passivate right there. You well, and, that, and that's, that's the issue we've got is, you know, in the heat exchanger, we never know if it's dry. Mm hmm. You know, the, you, yeah. you assume that it's going to It doesn't have to be drain. dry. It just needs needs exposure to oxygen. It can be wet with oxygenated water. That will work. And oxygen water will pick up oxygen like you wouldn't believe. So, uh, Well, that actually might be a good idea is to just put it in a recirculation loop uh, with your oxygen stone on. Yeah. That, that actually that would, might, that might work That would take care well. of it. Yeah. It's uh, and and by a cleanser, um, I mean you know ordinary kitchen cleanser, Revereware, Clean King, uh, Barkeeper's Friend, um, all of these cleansers that are recommended for cleaning stainless steel cookware. That's exactly what you want to use. It takes the heat tin off, it cleans up the stainless, nice and bright, and you're all set to go. The nitrate PBW works great too. Yeah, um, it really does. So going back to what you were working with earlier. Um, Colin, you know, you do the caustic rinse, or you do the caustic, you do a rinse, and then you do, it's very common to do an acid treatment after that to neutralize the caustic, and then another rinse. And that acid is usually phosphoric with, and sometimes with a little bit of nitric. And it helps keep the, keep, helps keep the stainless passive. But uh, uh, other people use uh, parasitic acid sanitization. That um, again is is also a part and parcel a, a neutralization step for the caustic. So a lot of I think a lot of professional brewers feel that they're they have to passivate their system after every use, and that's not necessarily the case. I think it's already passive. What you're mainly doing is neutralizing caustic in case and, there's some residual. Right. Yeah. Right. And certainly, you know, we, we certainly always do pH measurements um, at every point in the process. And if you ever end up with some abnormally high or abnormally low pH, you start looking for a cleaning uh, error. Yeah, yeah. All right, some more questions I got. Uh, and in terms of cleaning, someone wanted to know if I scrub that burn spot off of my kettle and leave it nice and shiny, how long do I need to wait to brew in that pot? You really don't. If it's nice and shiny, then it's clean, and then it's passive. Then it's fine. Okay. And, and that's actually new. You know, 10 years ago, we were at Beer, Beer, More Beer when I started there. We were telling everybody 30 minutes. You were? Okay. So th- this is all, that's new news to me. So, you know, there's probably a lot of information out there that, that started out of uh, Regan, Dylan, and I. Okay. Um, <laughs> because cause we thought it was 30 minutes. Gotcha. 
Okay, uh, here's another question. Uh, the blue that you were talking about that shows up on your stainless steel. Somebody asks, uh, will that go, uh, go away eventually if I just leave it alone? Or will it get worse? Or will it stay the same? Or do we really need to get in and scrub that off? It should get worse. Okay. It should corrode at some point. Yeah. If it doesn't, hey, you're lucky. Okay. So we need to get in there and take it off. It would be best if you got in there and took it off. And it comes off real easy with the cleanser and a scrubby. Okay. Here's a real nerdy question for you, Palmer. What grade is the best for welded fittings? And they gave a couple examples if you want those. Uh, 316L. The 316L, okay. Yeah. Um, how about fermenting in aluminum? Is that something? Is that harmful? Something we can do? That's fine. It's fine. No problem there. Um, it is. A, it is a more acidic, you know, uh, solution than, than the word itself. But uh, again, it goes back to: Do you have a seasoned aluminum vessel? One that's you know the oxides, the protective oxides have built up um, that makes it you know much more inert to the beer. Um, if you got a bright and shiny, brand new, you know, aluminum kettle there that you're trying to ferment in, you're probably going to notice a, a metallic off flavor. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, if you're using a seasoned pot, one that's nice and dull, shouldn't be any problem at all. Aluminum scares the hell out of me, and I stay away from it. Well, and again, on on the aluminum, when you're talking seasoned, I think you can also just go about cleaning it really well, like you would uh, your stainless, same same sort of process. And then again, uh, expose it to oxygen, let it sit for a while, and and it should. But it uh, takes longer for aluminum. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. You can you can accelerate that by um, sticking it in the oven at 350 for 10 minutes, half hour, and that will help the dry oxides uh, build up. Um, it's the it's the hydroxide aluminum hydroxides that are most susceptible to uh, chemical dissolution. All right, and and well, and and this is I think one of the reasons why I'm afraid of aluminum. And I, and and we aluminum as a metallic form uh, in our metals industry is only about 150 years old. It, and we didn't really have it as the the modern method of making aluminum from aluminum oxide ore didn't exist 150 years ago and a couple of high school students actually created the method that we all use now and it just hasn't been in our environment long enough for us to really understand what it does now does that mean it's a problem no maybe not but it's something that that i certainly have a warning flag about you feel we should be 250 to 300 years at least 500 750 1000 <laughs> Uh, a thousand generations. Wow. When something's been involved in our lives for a thousand generations. Well, we then, haven't had stainless, then, then we've we haven't had stainless for a thousand generations, though. Yeah. Well, 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 keep we in haven't. mind that you're ingesting 150 milligrams of aluminum in every antacid tablet that you take. Not me. I use calcium carbonate. Okay. Or uh, when you spread <laughs> deodorant <laughs> on your underarms. Friend. I, 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 I don't use uh, underarm deodorant either. 800 generations. Yeah, we were going to mention that. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I, and all for the same reason. I'm just that paranoid about aluminum. And it, that could be, you know, that uh, that might be just some reactionary thing on my part. But uh, boy, when you start dice, when you start uh, looking at, at the fall of the Roman Empire and you see all the lead plumbing, it took them hundreds of years to realize that lead was shortening their lifespans. Hmm. Average lifespan was 28 years. Well, and they didn't even realize it because... Uh, I mean, they, you talk about, uh, you know, like uh, the Franklin Expedition, the uh, 
Shackleton, all those, those different expeditions where they had uh, uh, canned food, which was the new miracle thing, and they yeah. had lead solder, and uh, they all get uh, lead poisoning and uh, yeah. tended to uh, off the uh, Well, the original the canning explorers. was done uh, by Napoleon's army yeah. so that uh, he could march across Europe. And uh, it was his chef that invented it, and he canned in champagne bottles, so he knew better. Hmm. <laughs> I just want to point out that everyone in the studio knew that Colin doesn't wear underarm deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they put me on mic three way yeah. over from everybody else. Yeah. You, you stay in this little booth over here? It's really just because the acoustics are much better in here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, will a, a brass ball valve screwed into a stainless steel or aluminum kettle corrode uh, because of the dissimilar metals, or is the contact time just too short? It's a question. Basically, at, at the home brewing level, the contact time is too short. Okay. At Collins level, it's he's got you know he's got five days, six day a week contact, and uh, he's going to experience corrosion. All right. Yeah, um, and that's what we found. About a thousand batches in, we started seeing our, our brass fittings corrode. Well, yeah. can't you throw it, maybe some Tef tape on there and kind of reduce the, uh, the the problem a little Isn't bit? Isn't that just the insulator and the battery? Isn't yeah. That like, yeah. Yeah, that, a, I think it, that just it makes it worse. It does help, but you still have proximity. You still sure. have the electrolyte, mm-hmm. and uh, it'll still corrode. Um, the galvanic series is such that um, carbon and, and gold are at the top. Then it comes chromium, uh, stainless steel, um, then uh, copper is right below that and then further down you have aluminum and zinc magnesium and so anything at the top of the chart is is not going to corrode it's the stuff at the bottom of the chart you know relatively that's going to corrode so if you connected brass to aluminum then you'll see the aluminum start to corrode if you connect aluminum to stainless you'll see the aluminum corrode if it's brass to stainless you see the brass corrode Okay. Well, and and here's one thing. Uh, you know, if you're looking at these quick disconnects, uh, not too long ago I was working with uh, the folks at More Beer. They had come up with uh, stainless disconnects, just like the brass ones, but made uh, of a, a good quality uh, stainless steel. They operate the same way and uh, designed to you know to, to thread in uh, you know the same same sort of fittings re- replacements for those brass ones. And if you're worried about lead or you're worried about corrosion or something like that, uh, you know these are a fantastic uh, product. I I, I started out with them, and uh, they gave me a, a set and said, hey, you know, we, we just, uh, here's some prototypes of these. Give them a shot. See what you think. And I, I went and brewed with them. Uh, the initial ones had a little bit of a uh, leakage thing there, and I, I told them, hey, you know, uh, this, that, the other thing. They went and they made some other prototypes to try those. It worked fantastic. I uh, I really, really thought that those were, were great. Um, I haven't replaced all my brass ones with them yet, but I think... Uh, Previously, uh, the stainless quick disconnects you could get were like you know for hydraulics, and they were you know eighty dollars a set. The, and know, it was more, absurd, yeah. Yeah, the more beer guys, they've you know sources, you know designed them, um, had them manufactured, and you get them. I think what thirty bucks a set, something like <laughs> That's that. A, yeah, yeah, something like that. You know, it's, it's uh, about a third of the price that you're paying before. And uh, you know, it's yeah, it's it's more expensive than the brass ones, but uh, I know you could get these and not worry about them at all, as far as you know, I, lead or dissimilar metals or all that that stuff. Even uh, cleanliness in general, They're, they I, seem I, to be easy to keep clean. Uh-huh. I, I built my brewery out of tri-clover clamps because when I'm using a tri-clover, I feel like a real brewer. 
Yeah. <laughs> I just grab myself in, in different spots, and that helps me. Uh, show uh, a lot of butt crack. You, you can find those on uh, morebeer.com, uh, www.morebeer.com. And uh, great product. I don't know uh, if uh, everyone's uh, known that they, they came out with those. No, but, uh, you know, I didn't. And I, I, and I used to help Chris out a lot on that kind of stuff. It's pretty I recent. I didn't know they were there. Yeah. yeah. yeah I'd love to go check them out, actually. Very cool I'll, stuff. I'll have to stop by. Check out our brew system out back, actually. Oh, uh, does it have it on them? We switched out our fittings with those as well. And uh, we, had the, we started with the plastic. And didn't like the plastic. Um, and we had a few copper because that's what we had. And then we just went to the stainless because I'm just kind of like you, Colin. I'm a bit of a freak about, uh, you know, worrying about dying. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, know, uh, you know, there's the other end of that. The alchemists used to ingest mercury on purpose because it made them uh, uh, more vigorous and more oh. uh, crazy, I think, is the word we'd use nowadays. I see. We don't need that around here. <laughs> uh, somebody else asked, should I break down and clean all of my weldless fittings on the kettle every time I brew? Is that necessary because of this corrosion? No. Yeah, I, uh, again, usually those have a you know some sort of a gasket in between, mm-hmm. and again, if it's if it's similar metals, then you don't have the problem. But uh, and if, if it's getting hot enough, I, you know, I would be more concerned with uh, the, hop the sanitary oils. aspects and of the it hop and oils. the yeah. oxidized hop oils and things like that versus uh, galvanic uh, corrosion. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I might clean clean them so so they're clean to brew with, and then I I don't think you have to worry about corrosion at all. Okay. Here's a, a good question, I thought. You were talking about uh, immersion chillers and different things and the metals turning black. Uh, this person said, uh, my immersion chiller is pretty much all black, and it pretty much stays black even after I've used it. It doesn't get that shiny bit that we all get out of ours. So he's kind of, he kind of said... Tell him to add some gypsum. Well, he wasn't really asking. He just said, I hope that's okay. I don't think he wanted to find out it's not okay. No, no. Uh, what pH you, is uh, way too high. Yeah, but his pH is really yeah, high. Yeah, his pH is too high. So if he's... Yeah. Uh, did he say an all-grain or extract pro? He didn't say. Uh, he just was mentioning that his stays that color. Yeah, he, we'll may have, he may have a water that's, uh, you know... Really not, alkaline. Not really alkaline yeah. and, and and that's a problem. Uh, you know, he might try, uh, you know, sourcing some uh, uh, different water. If he's an all-grain brewer, and he should be adjusting the pH of, of his mash and his, his sparge water as well to, uh, you know, something in the 5.2, 5.4 range, and then uh, he'll see it shine up a little bit. But, uh, you know, I learned... A, his beer will improve if he does that as well. Okay. I, I learned a nice little tidbit about that, uh, just to get on a sidetrack here, uh, between the 5.2 and 5.4 range. Um that's a big range for me. Mm-hmm. I can hit, I can hit those numbers a lot tighter than that. And uh, five point two, I really like on light light beers that mm-hmm. I want to be mm-hmm. crisp and refreshing. Yeah, um, yeah, but for yeah. hoppy beers, five two is uh, doesn't work for me. And for real hoppy beers that I want that nice bold bitterness out of, um, I do five point four hmm. um, because I get uh, uh, it's a little harsher bitterness, but mm-hmm. but it's it's a more present bitterness well, that's all right because on the maltier beers i like like more of a five four and on, oh, on, the, <laughs> on the lighter beers i like more like a five two i don't make any malty beers i either make dry beers that that <laughs> have no hops or dry beers that have lots of hops so. <laughs> all right just a couple more from the chat room um same with the immersion chiller you guys are talking about how to keep them clean or to clean them someone asked should we store it in water all the time. Would that help to keep it clean if we just, when we're done using it, stored it no. in water? No? Okay. No, it's going to be detrimental, in fact. Uh, I yeah. find things actually corrode. 
in water worse. Okay. Remember, there's there's oxygen in the water as well. Yeah, I used to store fittings of beer. I had, I had no. You guys weren't around. Jamil was, but uh, you guys weren't around when I had my test lab at Beer Beer More Beer, and it was really common for projects to get started and then abandoned uh, about halfway through because <laughs> something was more pressing. And so you'd have some piece of copper laying in some cleaning chemical for <laughs> months, maybe years, yeah. and you'd pull it out, and and, and then the bottom up, half was missing. And you well, you'd call up the manufacturer and say, "Hey, I left this copper fitting in your PBW," and uh, sure enough. It corroded well how long did you leave it there oh it's only been 18 months <laughs> yeah. all right so don't do that okay and i think the last uh, oh no I, I do have a couple more um does beer stone form on copper this person thought the only part of their kettle that needs cleaning is the copper cleaning uh, the copper bits so uh, does beer stone form on copper I, I don't get beer stone anywhere, on, the, on the hot side of my process at all all the beer stone i've ever gotten has been on the cold side um uh beer stone is calcium oxalate um it it the oxalates come from the malt the calcium comes from your water um if you get your water chemistry straight you shouldn't really have an issue with it at all um but i do see it a lot on homebrew stainless fermenters um, yeah, you get it, you get it from residual caustic in your system too oh that's interesting yeah well, um, they call it scale when it's uh from the caustic like if i put if i put hot pbw into a keg and I try rinsing out with cold water, I get scale built up in that keg like you wouldn't believe. Well, that's not calcium oxalate. That's something different. Right. Calcium oxalate actually precipitates out of the beer. But this is this is uh, you know something you get when you're doing caustic. You use hot caustic and then cold rinse. It'll 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 uh, deposit onto the the side of the keg. So don't do that. You want to rinse with if you're using hot PBW in your keg, clean your kegs. Uh, you want to use hot water yeah. to, as your rinse until until you get rid of the slippery factor, yeah. and then uh, and and then you can you can use a colder water because otherwise it's going to deposit right on there and you build up this rough stone on there or scale. <coughs> Is what they call it, uh, and, and, and it'll and, uh, harbor an organism and yeah. cause you all sorts of problems. So that's right. why I clean my yeah. kegs on a hot day because the uh, the hose water gets hot in the right. sun. Yeah, yep. and I do my initial rinse with hot water. There you mm-hmm. go. He's got a hot hose. All right, last two questions from the chat. Scaly hot hose yeah. are about leaching. Um, again, with leaving in water, this person asks. Uh, it's it's Dressel Brew in the chat room. There, if I fill my hot liquor tank a day or two in advance, will that leach anything bad in my hot water? Uh, he's using a, a Sankey keg for a hot liquor tank. No, no. not at all. Be fine. Okay. Perfect. Just fine. a couple of days, no big deal. In months, is he's going to oh, be fine. Okay. Unless something grows. I see. You know, as long as he heats Although, it up and kills whatever. Yeah, you know, I've heard that the the uh, the layer the uh, the layer between the air and the water and the and the stainless is uh, you can get a, a, a corrosion happening there, and it will pit the stainless on that on that uh, air water. Uh, interface that can happen, yeah. Okay, so uh, you don't want to leave it for for very long because it will it can. Uh, but if if it's standards. pure water, it it shouldn't happen. But if you if you especially but if you have like a cleaner um, PBW or some other chemical in there, hmm. then yeah, then it's more likely. My hot liquor tank's only empty for as long as it takes me to boil beer. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's literally full. You know, I I, I boil for ninety minutes, so. It's it's only empty uh, ninety minutes five days a week. Yeah. Well, it's probably hot a lot. I think if you if it's you hot a lot. Like, yeah, yeah. If you leave it, uh, you it, know, room temperature, you're going to pick up more oxygen. Maybe that it has something to do with that. It's, uh, at least, you know, hey, this is stuff I read. <laughs> well, know. for uh, the, the the chemistry of actually air and water is really fascinating. 
um, and you actually can build up a, a, a temporary hardness mm-hmm. um, just by leaving hot water or water in general exposed to air for a long period of time. <laughs> you can actually watch it change. Hmm. Well, that's a good question, I thought, for homebrewers, because a lot of people do like to set up their hot liquor tank, their mm-hmm. water, a couple of days in advance of the brew day. Mm-hmm. All right, last question. Here's a good one for you, Palmer, to finish off the chat room. Uh, somebody asks, hey, doesn't the oxide layer that forms on lead actually seal off any lead leaching? No. Okay. <laughs> good enough. Yeah. <laughs> no. You got your answer now. Go away. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not a it's not a it's not a very protective oxide. So it, and and educate me a little bit on all this. So we talk about oxides that are protective, like the oxide, chromium oxide or the aluminum oxide. Is that is that a PK? Is that is that what it yeah. is? It so, is. So, so, it, so the PK. Sort of so the PK of lead oxides then are are higher than say the PK of chromium oxide. Is that what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. The their stability PK in a solution or um, uh, potential in you know the oxygen potential in the air. Um, yeah, it's they're uh, less protective. They're the less stable. So they'll actually, say, go into solution at pH of 6 or something, whereas, right. say, a copper oxide won't go into solution until pH something Three. really low, like at 1 or something. Yeah, that's okay. right. I, I'm just, I was trying to clarify that in my head. And, so. and, and different, different chemicals, they'll, they'll, you know, every metal, every oxide will have a different uh, pK depending on what solution it's in. Oh, so, of sure, that makes sense. Because yeah, it's so going to react with something, right? Right, and that's why that's why copper and brass um, and beer get along, whereas copper and brass and tomato sauce don't. It's the it's the chemical that they're actually in and their activity in that chemical. So it's not simply a pH issue, right? It's not simply a pH issue. It's a, it's also a chemistry issue. All right, that's all I had from the chat today. Uh, great work in there, everybody. Good questions, I thought, and a lot of good particip- uh, participation. That's what the show's about. So thank you for doing that for Jamil. And, yeah, and, and stick around. Uh, we're going to be talking about enzymes in our next show. Uh, let me kind of recap some of the things I, I, I think we came up with uh, in this show. Uh, give you a final recap here. So stainless, uh, you want the 304, 316, and there was also the 202. But any of those are fine in general. Uh, those are those are good for welding. It's the 316L and uh, or 304L or 304L. Most of most of those uh, stainless products you're going to find would be good. Anything I think in the 400 series, you said the 4 4 the 416 uh, might be the the issue, uh, right? And yeah. uh, but other than that, uh, you're going to be okay. Most of, most of the the products out there would be just fine, right? That's right. I thought you had something else to say there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I could talk about... Um, we're in the recap here. Come on. Okay, yeah. You should have said it early in the show. <laughs> Don't get me started. Right. Aluminum. Aluminum is okay. We're going to start calling you nickel. Yeah. Put a nickel in the slot. <laughs> yeah, put a nickel in the slot. I give you a slot. Uh, yeah, in, and, in my opinion, aluminum is, is a perfectly fine brewing uh-huh. element. Better conductivity uh, of heat and distribution of heat, but it's not going to be as durable as, as stainless will as far as uh, you know chemicals, cleaning, acidity, stuff like that. Which is why we use copper, because it transmits heat even better than aluminum. So copper's mm. even 
better than than uh, stainless or you know for a brew kettle things like that. But it's very yeah, copper's expensive. about twice as good as aluminum, and aluminum is about five times as good as as stainless. So if I could still do math, that's ten times better copper than stainless. Yeah. There you and go. I'm That's probably, why they, they attach those big old plates to the bottom of some stainless uh, kettles to help distribute heat throughout the throughout the kettle, right? Right. So aluminum's all right. You don't have to worry about Alzheimer's unless you're uh, Colin or, or Justin. But uh, <laughs> well, they're going to suffer anyways. Uh, but uh, you know, there, it's our the, families that'll suffer. There is yeah. some durability. <laughs> yeah. Well, they they need. We'll, to suffer. we'll just get younger every day. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Aren't yeah. you my third grade teacher? <laughs> So copper. Let's have sex again. I'm, I'm not the only one drinking here in the studio, as you can tell. <laughs> copper. Uh, the 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 consensus here is you really don't worry. You're not going to get too much copper in your in your wort, and uh, uh, and pretty much all of that is going to get eliminated by the yeast in the in the tube in the uh, in the fermenter. So uh, right. uh, you you want to make sure and clean it. If it's if it looks green or blue or uh, black, you probably want to take the scrubby to it and uh, some some water and get that thing uh, polished up. Some, some and and generally it'll it'll uh, you know get, take on kind of a dull copper uh, look to it, and that's perfect and 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 you're fine there. If you're getting a black look to your copper after you boil, and then you do it again and again, and it just looks black all the time, you probably need to adjust your the pH of, of your mash or your or your water or whatever you're you're brewing with because uh, uh, you're not getting uh, quite acidic enough. You should clean it first, and then uh, uh, see what you can do there. Uh, lead. Not so much of an issue, uh, you know. Yeah, lead can can is a terrible thing, and you don't want lead in you. Uh, probably the best thing, rather than using brass fittings, is to, to go to morebeer.com and, and check out their stainless quick disconnects instead. You know, try and use stainless parts where you can, or copper parts would be a good choice. Uh, no lead, and there's the pickling treatment that that can reduce the issue. Uh, if you're somebody like me that really doesn't care about their health. Uh, and, you know, I figure I'm just on the downside of my mental acuity anyways. Uh, I just use brass fittings, and I haven't noticed a difference. <laughs> Look how I turned out. Exactly. So I think, uh, you know, if you have a concern, definitely you know, get yourself some stainless fitting, you know, replace the brass. But uh, if you don't, if you got the brass and you're not too worried about it, again, don't give the beer to the kids because they're growing. And well, they're and, and you know, let's actually recap one of the really interesting things. So we're talking about toxicity of, uh, 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 I believe it was lead at, what was it, 200 milligrams per kilogram yeah. of body weight? Copper. That's right. Yeah. Of, was that copper or was that lead? That was copper. Okay. Uh, lead is 1,300 1,300 milligrams? milligrams? Yeah. That's uh-huh. a huge amount. It is. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's not. If you, you know, notice that you're, you're getting it, it, heavier. It, it, well, no. I mean, if you, if you notice that there's big parts of your fittings missing, then you're probably consuming too much lead. I mean, there's a huge amount. This isn't like the pit you didn't notice that yeah. that's that poisoned like, you here. It's like swallowing, you know, uh, one bullet for every kilogram of body body weight. I mean, it's uh, that's well, and, a lot and, and of a bullet would you would even pass through. You'd have to like crush it up into powder and then solubilize it in in some acid and then consume it. That's right. Yeah, I mean, so there you're you're still okay to swallow bullets. So uh, pass so, right through. You so, see, so you you may like be perfectly comfortable with lead, but I'm still afraid of aluminum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Lord so. help you if somebody shoots you with an aluminum bullet that has to stay in you, huh? <laughs> yeah, you can see why I love doing this show. It's, it's, it's always a great time and, and very informative. I think, you don't uh, have to get too serious. I, I, I think we learned a lot. It, I, I learned stuff from this I did, show. For sure. you, know, you, you bring in these good experts, and, and uh, it's amazing the stuff that you can learn. And I think we answered a lot of questions for people. I think we did an excellent job, everybody. I think uh, this, is, this is something where you know, people are learning uh, about the things that affect their beer and things they want to know. And that's that's the purpose of this show. Hey, John, thanks for the education. I appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for listening. I was afraid I was going to bore everybody to death. All right, if you're listening, uh, you know, go to the, thebrewingnetwork.com and check out uh, all the, the great stuff there. There's a store with uh, excellent shirts. I wear them all the time. Uh, books, signed books, uh, you know, memberships to the AHA. Uh, brew your own. I write a column for that, and so does John. And so you can get even more of our stuff. And, uh, you know, sign up for BYO, and uh, a good portion of that subscription actually goes to the Brewing Network. It's a, it's a great deal. Anyways, uh, good show, everybody. Brew strong. Bruce Strong. <laughs>